0: Test one. There we go. Good deal. All right, let's start Deuteronomy class. Deuteronomy class. Everybody got a Bible? Everybody good? Hey, Chuck, would you mind to pull those doors too? Those doors, would you mind to pull them too, please? Thank you, sir. Anybody need a Bible? Everybody got one? we good? Okay. I want to come around and this week, next week, next week is the last day of Sunday school until september i want to come around and give you guys just the basic notes i hand these out it's just got a heading at the top and uh we're going to be finishing starting and finishing deuteronomy 11 today so there we go one here and what we're doing in deuteronomy 11 is we are finishing this the um We are finishing, absolutely, the section on general stipulations. Let me run through the structure with you of uh, Deuteronomy real quick. At the beginning, if you want to start at chapter 1 and just follow me through real quick. I'm trying to make sure everybody's got one. They're going to come in here in just a minute. we are. Anybody not have one? Everybody good? Okay. Just want to make sure. Give one here for you Tanya there you go before we start let's definitely pray that probably be the safest thing to do at this point so you need one? Oh. Ooh, where's that which one? Oh, okay I'll go through and I'll go through and check it then yeah that was a that was a great mistake on my part sorry are you okay oh well they're good okay let's take a moment let's pray Father, we thank You for uh, the mercy of having Your Word and how it instructs us and teaches us and gives us great and wonderful examples and shows us of Your goodness and Your grace and the importance of obedience in our lives. Uh, please bless this time to our understanding and please teach our hearts. It's in Jesus' name, Amen. If you would look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, <clears throat> let me just run through this with you real quick. Chapters 1-4 through four actually end up being... Um, what is a uh, uh, introduction, or sorry, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 end up being an introduction. And then you have from verse 5 of chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4, verse 40 is what's known as a historical prologue. Um, What it is is that Moses wants to go back and recount some of the recent things that have happened with Israel, and in doing so, the Holy Spirit kind of gets us up to speed. If you found yourself floundering in Numbers or Leviticus or things like that, the end of Exodus when you're seeking to read, uh, you will actually end up finding uh, that this is a helpful section to tell you some pertinent things moving forward. You got that? Okay. Linda, do you need one? Okay, it's just just a a note-taking sheet. I'll make sure that you have it. Who else? Eli? Sorry. There you go. Art, do you need one? You good? Okay. Um, but from 440, after that, you move into what is known as general stipulations. And that's pretty much where we've been spending a lot of our time this semester of Sunday school. From 5-1 until the end of chapter 11, you have general stipulations that Moses is putting forward. And what we have seen a lot so far is... Obey the commandments of the Lord, fear Him, love Him, walk with Him. You see this stuff over and over and over uh, that is brought up. And what we're going to see today in chapter 11, thank you Kenny, It's very kind of you, thank you. Uh, What we're going to see today in chapter 11 is we are going to see a summation pretty much of the general stipulations ever since chapter 5 verse 1. Now if you remember, in chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 of Deuteronomy, is what is known as the, you know, the Shema. Everybody remember that? Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everybody remember that? And you shall love the Lord your God, right? You'll speak of Him when you walk, when you sit down, when you lie down, when you rise up. You'll write His name on the doorposts. You will teach your children. Everybody remember that? And it it is the training of the heart because the heart is the problem. We're going to see that uh, flash by us here in this instance as well. So let's start in chapter 11, verse 1. You shall therefore, now stop, you shall therefore, what's that therefore, right? If you remember what we dealt with at the end of chapter 2 was a chiastic structure. And some of the important points of the chiasm that we dealt with was the center point of verse 16. Verse 16 from, chap- from chapter 10 verses 12 through 22 was a chiasm leading to a main point and 16 is the main point being in the middle. Does everybody remember that? Big long legal sheets and all that stuff? Yes, okay. So we remember looking at that. Remember it. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. Now here's a question. Why? Before you answer it, what reason does Moses give the people as to why they should circumcise their hearts and not stiffen their necks? Why? What's that? Well, the tendency was to do that absolutely and of course us being sinful people, we would say the tendency is for us to do that as well. But what reason does Moses give not to do that? Think of your chiasm. If C is the mental point, if you the middle point, if you have your chiasm with you, fold it out and take a look at it. The reason why C should be a reality, verse 16, that they not harden their hearts any longer, that they circumcise their hearts, that they not be stiff-necked, but instead they loosen up, essentially, I guess is what we would say, Uh, submit themselves to the Lord is because of what you see in verses 14 and 15 and what you see in verses 17 and 18. Notice 14, behold, Yahweh your Elohim, to him belong heaven and the highest heaven. The earth that is all that is in it. In other words, he's the creator and the owner of everything. That's a pretty good reason to submit to him. How about verse 15? Yet on your fathers did Yahweh set his affection to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, even you above all the peoples as it is this day. So not only is God the owner and creator of everything, but the owner and creator of everything out of everyone that he ever could have chosen to work with in an intimate fashion has chosen the Jewish people of which he is going to put his special love and affection upon them. Now, are those two good reasons to not be stiff necked anymore and to circumcise your heart? Would you agree? Okay. So hopefully that should get our attention. But he goes further than that. Look at verse 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods. He is the Elohim of Elohim, is what it's saying there. And the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. In other words, you have perfect justice. He's immutable. He never changes. There's another good reason why you should uh, soften your heart and no longer have a stiff neck. But then he goes on to another one. Verse 18. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow. And shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. Are these good reasons why you should obey God and not be hard-hearted and walk in humility? Absolutely. So notice, because of these reasons, because and, and this is really what it's coming down to. God is saying, follow me, follow my commandments, receive my blessing Put yourself in a position where I can bless you with things that are completely unfathomable. Please do this. Please do this. Please do this. God, It's not like God's looking for people to judge. He's looking for people to bless. That's what he wants. So in 11.1, we know what the therefore is therefore. Because of who God is, and because of what God has done, and because he has called upon you to circumcise your heart and no longer be stiff necked, you shall love, 11.1, you shall therefore love Yahweh your Elohim and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. Now stop. Love God. Keep his charge, statutes, ordinances, and commandments. In other words, the totality of life should be lived with God at the center. All of it. All of it. One of the most profound quotes that I've ever read was actually a guy who was friends with A.W. Tozer. And he said that he recalled one time, I shared this in hermeneutics the other night, he recalled one time talking with Tozer, and Tozer had mentioned to him I want to be the Christian on the face of the earth who loves God the most. I don't think that's an arrogant statement. I think he was being honest about what was sincerely on his heart. But is that not where we should all be? Are we the ones who love God the most on all the face of the earth? Not that we're in competition with one another, but because he is worth loving more than anything else on the earth. That's the idea that God's trying to get across. Everything else that is settled for and considered valuable, or we ascribe worth to, or we put importance on, or we consider priorities in our life—they pale in comparison to God. This is why Jesus looked at Mary or looked at Martha and said, "Mary has chosen the better part." He was, she wasn't all scrambled up and mixed up and crazy and doing some things and getting mad because nobody was helping her. She instead was at my feet. That's the difference. That's the type of heart that we're talking about here. That's the heart that he wants to see cultivated in Israel. Verse 2, Know this day that I'm not speaking to your sons. Now stop. This is important to think about. Remember where we're at. Moses is on a mountain and he is talking to the second generation out of the Exodus. Yes? And what did the second generation see? They were kids. They were 20 and under. Whenever their parents rebelled against God, did not go into the promised land, decided to believe the lies of the spies instead, and were led off course, and God said, you will march for 40 years until you all die, and then we'll try this again. That's your discipline for the situation. Now you're talking about that generation that was spared, that was below the age of accountability, we would say, and now they're in the position of age range of their parents, Right? I mean, at the latest, what you're going to have is you're going to have, uh, sorry, at the most, you're going to have people who are 59. With the acceptance, with the acceptance, exception, with the exception of Moses, the oldest person you've got is 59 years old in your crowd. Does everybody see how that works? And so they've seen it. Those who are the oldest in the crowd saw what it was to come out of Egypt, knew something of what it was to be under that slave mentality, saw the hardships going through, but also saw God speak audibly from the mountain, saw the pillar of cloud and the fire by night, saw the rituals of the tabernacle, saw the, the sacrifices of when they were instituted for the lambs and what they represented. They've been brought up in this. And so now to, now notice this in verse two. Know this day I'm not speaking to your sons. I'm not speaking to the ones who in the second generation are in the age or under the age of accountability. Does everybody see that? Now watch why he says that who have not known and who have not seen the discipline of Yahweh your Elohim, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm. In other words, they weren't privy to the dividing of the Red Sea. They weren't privy of seeing everything that scared the Israelites to death being washed away in a single swipe. They weren't privy to seeing the display of the plagues that were put upon Egypt. They knew none of that stuff. They'd heard about it. They've had it go down through time. Some people, after a while, maybe might consider it folklore. Maybe enter into unbelief about it. It's kind of odd because they've still got Yahweh working with them at that time. But notice, they didn't get to see these mighty acts. You saw them. That's the difference. Verse 3, And his signs and his works, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land and what he did to Egypt's army, to its horses and its chariots, when he made the water of the Red Sea to engulf them while they were pursuing you. And Yahweh completely destroyed them. Second generation of the Exodus, you saw that. Your children did not see that. Now watch this. Verse 5. And what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. Now remember, a lot of these kids, being 19 and under, were born in the wilderness wanderings. Everybody see that? So they don't understand all of this stuff. They're in a position of ignorance about all of this. And notice that the Lord is bringing this idea to light for them because of what he's getting ready to state. Verse 6, what he did to Dathan and Ab- Abriam, I guess is how you would say it, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben. When the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them among all Israel. But your own eyes have seen all the great work of Yahweh, which he did. Does everybody remember the situation of Dathan and Abram? Does everybody remember that? How about this? Have you heard of the rebellion of Korah? Korah's rebellion? Have you heard of that? When Korah Korah was a Levite, he rose up against Moses and he said, what makes you so special? God talks to all of us. Why do you get to be the Holy One of God? Why do you get to be the chosen one that he's going to use for purposes? And Moses said, okay. In fact, I love it. When Moses responds, he falls down on his face before the Lord. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to offer a sacrifice and we'll find out who accepts it and who doesn't accept it. If you remember, the earth opened up and swallowed up Korah his entire family died by falling into the earth and it closed up again. Well, he was a Levite and it's believed that he was trying to take over the priesthood at that time. Uh, These guys, Dathan and Abram, Abram, however you say his name, are actually from the tribe of Reuben. And chances are what they were trying to do is they were trying to usurp the sovereign position that Moses had over Israel. Not that he was a king that had been crowned or anything, but he was the leader. And probably the reason why that's being brought up here is because the focus is on leadership in this situation, not the priesthood. And so notice, your children didn't see this. Your children didn't get to see the earth open up and swallow these people as a discipline for their rebellion against the Lord, which means, because they didn't experience that, because, trust me, that was a teaching lesson. God is a teaching God, okay? And he was teaching a lesson that day. Because they didn't get to see that, they still need to be taught that. And so notice he says here, Verse 7, but your own eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord, which he did. Verse 8, you shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today, so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land into which you are about to cross to possess it. Now stop for a second. Everything that God has ever done in our lives is supposed to have an effect that leaves a lasting impression whether it be what we've read about in Scripture as being true, or whether it's something that we have petitioned Him, we've raised up prayers to Him, constantly asking of Him, and He has answered us in some way, those are not to be things that are forgotten. Those are to be things that should be written down in some way so that we can reflect back upon His faithfulness when we're in times of uncertainty. You've got a whole generation of people who don't know the Lord. You know what this is like when you were bringing up kids if you're bringing up kids, when you bring up kids, have brought up kids. There are plenty of things that the Lord has done in your life that your kids never saw. But yet, shouldn't we share those things? Shouldn't we point them to ways that we prayed for certain things and the Lord answered? Absolutely, we should. Because all we're doing is stating a case that further proves who God already is. Does that make sense? We're not trying to prove God to them. We need to stop trying to prove God to our kids and everybody. We need to start speaking of who he is because he is. We don't have to prove him. And that is when it's going to draw people to God. Not oh well, I've got this argument for God. i got this argument for God. i got this argument. God doesn't have an argument for God. He is, period. If we can't get to that point of there's a God in creation, we're lost on it. Don't worry about messing anything else up. That's what we're run the risk of doing. In this situation, this teaching opportunity Is important. Keep his commandments. Why? What are they getting ready to do? Everybody remember? Getting ready to go into the land and they're going to inherit it. In fact, remember where it says the word possess, notice it says the word possess twice in this verse, verse eight. See it there? Go in and possess the land. Remember that word possess is is completely interchangeable with what word? Remember? Inherit. It's the idea of inheriting the land. Now look what he says, verse eight. You shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today. Here's the reason, so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land. Get this, without obeying God, there is no strength. Does everybody see that? Without obeying God, there is no strength. Fast forward a little bit to what you know about the book of Joshua. They come in, they conquer Jericho, right? And then after that, what city's next? Ai. Okay, spelled A-I. And after that, what happens in the battle of A-I? Anybody know? They got defeated. They got spanked like little redheaded stepchildren is what happened in that. Does anybody remember why? There was sin in their camp. When they had conquered Jerusalem, and that was a weird battle strategy, right? March around every day for seven days. On the seventh day, March around seven times and. Like Miles Davis is part of the Israelites, right? Anyway, the walls fall. And then when you have no protection because your walls just crumbled, we rush in and we siege the city. And one guy decided, you know what? These idols are looking kind of nice. And maybe they'll help me in some way. Where was he looking for strength? See how that works? What happened was there was sin in the camp. And because there was disobedience in the camp, there was no strength. Everybody else was obedient. Everybody else was psyched. They were jazzed. Not to associate that with the trumpet thing. But they were excited about rushing upon the next city. We saw God do what God said. And there's nothing that's going to stop us because we have God as our God. Let's go! Why are people dying? Isn't God still our God? And now you got to figure it out. What's the problem? Sin. Sin's the problem. So why does he say there in verse 8, You shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today, so that you may be strong and go in and possess and inherit this land. Because strength comes from obedience. That's where it comes from. Let's not pray for strength. Let's pray that we would have the courage to obey God so that He would give strength. That's the difference. Everybody see this? How this works? Yes? Everybody tired? Is that sugar from the cake starting to overflow your veins and clog up your arteries? Okay, good. Verse 9. Notice what it says. So that, here's the reason, you may prolong your days in the land. Everybody see that? If you don't keep the commandments, what happens? Eviction. You will be evicted. In fact, if you'll notice from verse 8 all the way to the end of the chapter, the idea of the land, the land of Canaan that's been promised to the Israelites, 13 times is brought up in this section. 13. Because all of it is in relation to the land that God has chosen to give to his people. Notice, it'll prolong your days in the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers to give to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. Is everybody familiar with that land? Everybody familiar with what that looks like. Everybody familiar. If I say the word fertile, or if I say the phrase fertile crescent, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so it, it it is waterway that stretches over there on each sides of the Arabian Desert, and essentially it is a lush vegetation that stretches all the way from the Persian Gulf all the way around to the end of where the Dead Sea is, and it is just flourishing uh, with sustenance. It's incredible. So God is personally tending to taking care of this place um let's see here notice verse 10 for the land into which you are entering to possess to inherit it is not like the land of egypt from which you came where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot what in the world does that mean Uh, like a like a vegetable garden does that mean that the guys were so lazy that they just put the water hose in between their big toe and their next toe and just decided to go water like that no it was actually the idea of a paddle wheel mechanism that was put together which shows you the sophisticated machinery that egypt had at that time where they would sit there and they would paddle on this wheel and it would create irrigation throughout their crops very interesting that they had that going yes sir uh, some people believe that that was just a common phrase that was used to talk about abundance. Both of those would be considered precious commodities, and so some people would use that as a general designation if you were describing something. Uh, like if I said, you know, Laverne is the bee's knees, like that. I- I'm not saying that you're actually on the knees of bees, uh, but what I am saying is that you're a pretty special guy. So it'd be that that type of designation. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Which is interesting, notice whenever the spies went into the land and came back, they brought fruit with them and things like that. They didn't bring milk and they didn't bring honey. So notice, if you trace it throughout Scripture, you'll find it's pretty much a general designation of there's abundance in the land. It's a precious land that's been cared for. Um, Good question, Laverne. So notice the the whole idea of uh, irrigation used by a paddle wheel uh, that powers it. Verse 11, But the land into which you are about to cross... To possess it, to inherit it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven. Now, stop. This may not have any special significance to you, but if you've ever driven through the state of Illinois, and it is the flattest place on the face of the earth, is it not? Okay, now, imagine from there, when you cross into Indiana, it's as flat as Illinois, it's just darker. It is. And I'm talking smog, Freaky. In fact, last time we were driving back, we were driving back for Thanksgiving last year, and we went past Champagne. And about forty-five miles on the other side of Champagne, you cross over the state line, and you're north of Terre Haute. And I'm not kidding you. When we crossed over the state line, my wife looked over at me and she goes, "Did you feel that?" And I said, "I did." And it's almost like everything went. Yeah. So that's where I come from. So <laughs> very sad and dark place. Thankful for the state of Wisconsin, right? There you go. So, what's that? What? I'm in the promised land now. Yes, praise the Lord. So, uh, notice, uh, land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which Yahweh your Elohim cares. And that word cares there, it's translated cares pretty consistently throughout all of our English translations that we have. But the idea there is that he is intentionally, intently, intently, looking out for that land. He is caring for it personally. It's almost like he is the the personal gardener of the land that Israel is going to inherit. The eyes of Yahweh your Elohim are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. Now, uh, we're going to look at some very interesting things here. Number one, I want to show you Psalm 82. And the reason is, is because it is odd... Not that God doesn't watch over the whole earth, of course he does, but it's very odd the fact that there would be a special designation given to the fact that he is watching for uh, Israel or the land of Canaan, uh, stretching essentially from where Judah is all the way up into Galilee, we would understand from New Testament times. Turn to Psalm 82, and I want to show you something about this. A lot of people don't think too much about this. Some people get scared about it. Uh, I don't think that we need to but I think it's important to see. And you'll remember this probably when we went through it if you were here for it in foundational framework. Psalm 82, verse 1, God takes his stand in his own congregation. Does everybody see that? In the congregation of God. This is also what's known as a divine assembly. If you have a ESV translation, the assembly, the council is the idea. It's a council in heaven is what it is. Notice it says here, he judges in the midst of the rulers. Everybody see the word rulers? Bad translation. Gods. Little g gods. The word is Elohim is what it is. And what it is is little g gods. What are little g gods? We should know this by now. They're demons is what they are. So notice we're talking about fallen celestial beings that go on here. Notice it says after that, verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly? Now this is Yahweh talking to this council, these these Elohim. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? That's how you know that they're fallen is because they are taking pleasure and showing favor to wicked people. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Is that a good thing? Is it a good thing to vindicate the weak and fatherless? It is. And notice, this is his command of how, how they can straighten up, how they can get their act together. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Everybody see that? That's all good stuff. Now here's a question. Why is he asking them to do that? Here's the reason why. is because these little G gods, Elohim, have been designated plots across the earth that they are to rule over. They are to be over these plots. In fact, whenever we read about the king of Tyre in Ezekiel, and you actually find out that as you're reading, it's speaking of the fall of Lucifer and how he became what we know as Satan because of his pride and his arrogance well it's believed it's because satan is specifically the elohim that is over tyre in that region that might be the reason why some of us might say well he has some sort of rulership over babylon because of what we know about babylon in the times and those types of things it's very well possible but notice that there are demons who are spiritually authorities over certain regions And notice that they've been abusing and taking advantage of their power and afflicting the people that have been to their care. And Yahweh is telling them, shape up. Stop doing this. That is dumb. In other words, you know right from wrong and stop taking pleasure in wrong and start doing what is right. Which means, get this, fallen angels have the ability to do right things if they will just do them. Notice that God doesn't force them. But he is calling on them, he is commanding them to make a different choice than how they're handling what has been entrusted to them. Look at verse 5. They do not know, nor do they understand. In other words, he's evaluating this counsel of Elohim now. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are Elohim, and all of you are sons of the Most High. All of you are sons of Elion. When we talk about El Elyon, that is God Most High is what it is. Notice he uses Most High here. El Yon. In other words, they are all accountable to him because they are his creation. Does everybody see that? Therefore, he stands as judge over them because he is the creator. And then verse 7, here's his judgment. Nevertheless, you will die like men. Notice that's how you know he's not speaking to men. is because he's telling them that they will die like men. You will die in a way that you have never known because of what you're not. You're not men. He says here, And fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O Elohim, judge the earth, for it is you who possess who shall inherit, says the New King James in the ESV, who shall inherit all the nations. In other words, because of their failure to handle their responsibility in governing their nation successfully, They will, once they are judged, relinquish their rulership over those nations and Yahweh will inherit all of them at that time of judgment. Now why do I bring that up? I bring that up because if you go back to Deuteronomy and you look at what we're looking at in verse 11 and you see the command there, verse 12, "...the land for which Yahweh your Elohim cares..." The eyes of Yahweh your Elohim are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. I've thought about this. Anybody ever been to Israel? I know Cheryl has. Okay, you guys been to Israel? I'm not going to not going to Israel. Understand this, okay? But my question is, is why would we want to go to Israel? Uh, would you be closer to God there than you are here? No. Uh, would you learn more about Jesus than what your Bible is going to be able to tell you here? know but if i could think of one good justifiable reason to spend the five thousand dollars or whatever it costs to go for nine days and nights and all the running around i don't know how you can see the whole place in that time but all these packages they offer to go my thinking would be is because the bible tells me very clearly this is a place that god takes care of and so i would go there to see god's handiwork how beautiful is it what is he doing here even in the midst of a sin saturated existence to where he is carefully watching over and tending to this area that's a reason why i would want to see it i think that's a biblical reason for us to go otherwise we'll get caught up in this is the tomb no this is the tomb you should be baptized in the jordan that kind of stuff we don't need to be baptized again it doesn't need to happen but if you're looking for a good reason to go it's because the handiwork of God is especially all over that place because it seems like that that plot of land, he has taken for himself and he cares for it. He watches over it. He looks into it. That would be a good reason to tackle it. Not saying you can't learn other things. I'm saying I think that's a good reason. Now, we've got 10 minutes. We need to make it to the end of verse 21. But we've got some things to go over. Does everybody remember when we talked about, you probably remember the word, the Masusa. Does anybody remember that what the meseusa is? Anybody know what the meseusa is? Anybody know? Good. Yes, it's a, it's a container that actually has scripture located in it. And one and where we first saw this was Deuteronomy chapter six. Okay, here's what I want you to do: turn back there real quick. Excellent. Major major star points for you today. That's good. Turn back to chapter six. Look at verse four. This section from verses four to nine were considered as part of the Mesusa. or if you had whenever the priests in the new testament would wear phylacteries on their foreheads and they would stand in the temple looking like the cool guys and everybody we want everybody to see how holy and reverent we are that kind of thing uh with that right there uh this was considered a portion of the scripture that was included in there chapter six verses four through nine hear o israel Yahweh our Elohim, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Verse 6, these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That was included as part of the phylacteries and part of the Masusa, which was uh, a device, a, a box, a container that would have Scripture located in it that you kept on the doorpost in your house. And when and when the Jewish people would go from room to room, they would actually take their right hand and they would reach up and they would touch that box as a sign of reverence. And on the top of it, usually inscribed in Hebrew was Adonai, which we would see in the English as capital L, lowercase O-R-D. Adonai, master, would be engraved in the top of these boxes that would be sitting there. So does everybody kind of remember that now if you've been going through? Okay, you've been going through the class. Okay, so the second portion, go back to 11. Another portion that is included within uh, the Mesutah is going to be from verses 13 to verse 21. All of this is also considered part of that and is also kept in the phylacteries that the the, the priest or the, the Pharisees would wear on their foreheads. So let's read through it. It shall come about if, very important word, anytime you see if, it's bringing a contingency. If you will do this. If you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, To love Yahweh your Elohim, to serve Him with all of your heart, everybody mark heart, that's important, and all your soul. Another word for soul is life, all your life. Some people have also translated soul as mind. Mind, will, and emotions are part of the soul. The soul, our souls are made up of our mind, our wills, and our emotions. So if they threw the word mind in there, some translations have done that, Uh, that's okay. It's not going not gonna to kill you. It's not a mistranslation or anything. But notice all of your heart and all of your life, all of your soul. Verse 14, that he will give the rain for your land and its season, the early and the late rain that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. In other words, if you keep his commandments with all your heart and with all your life, he's going to give you agricultural blessing. Does that sound like good stuff? Okay, Laverne and Cheryl left, otherwise I would get a big hearty amen out of them. Notice verse 15. He will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Blessings for sustained livestock. Sound like good stuff? Laverne says amen again, right? Everybody that eats a Chick-fil-A is happy. Verse 16. Beware that your, what's it say? Hearts are not deceived. Everybody see, beware if you have a marginal note. What does your marginal note say? What does it say? Watch yourselves. Because who's the greatest deceiver in Israel? It's not Satan. It's them. It's their hearts. This is why the repetition is given on the heart. The heart is the problem. We know the Jeremiah verse, right? The heart is what? Deceitful, desperately wicked. And who can know it? everybody think that's interesting who can know it it's profound how wicked even christians can be where does it stem from the heart the heart's the problem when we read the shema deuteronomy 6 you shall love the lord your god with all your what heart It all starts with the heart. And everything that was being set up in that Deuteronomy 6 passage is to teach the heart. Why? Because the heart has to be convinced of a better way. All of it's a heart problem. Every bit of it is a a heart problem. When my son is disobeying, his attitude problem is an extension of his heart problem. He is not convinced that what he is doing is sin, is wrong. And so I have to bring it to his attention and let him know and sometimes forcefully with the spanking. How severe that is. Your wrong gets consequences. There are consequences to your actions. There's discipline in place. Notice he says, verse uh, 16, Beware, watch yourselves, that your hearts are not deceived, and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, and serve demons, other Elohim. Everybody see that? Because that's where a deceived heart will lead you. Notice it says, verse 17, Or the anger of Yahweh will be kindled against you. Now you have the negatives here. If you don't listen obediently, as verse 13 says, notice, He will shut up the heavens so that there's no rain. Well, that corresponds with the blessing that came from listening, right? The blessing was, you'll have all kinds of rain. You'll be agriculturally blessed. You won't have any lack of anything. You don't listen and you don't obey. You're not going to have anything. You will be scrounging for food is the idea. Notice, and the ground will not yield its fruit. You will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Now notice, here is the directive. Here is the path of cultivating obedience. Verses 18, 19, 20. If you want to lock that in right there, this is how you rectify a disobedient heart that refuses to listen you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your what your heart everybody see it again notice you've had heart brought up three times in this section remember they kept this along with the shema and they and 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 it was considered a principle for how to live a successful life in fellowship with yahweh okay the word impress here is the idea of put place set appoint. Make, In other words, it is of priority. It needs to be a mainstay that is unwavering upon you. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, on your life, and you shall bind them on, as, as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead." And real quick, I don't know that those were ever meant to really be taken literally. They ended up doing that. But I think the idea was, is that his commandments need to be in everything that you participate in with your hands, in every direction that you look with your eyes. It needs to be right here constantly at all times. I would say it this way. This is the way I remember it well, is the fact that the Lord and his word would be ever before you as you walk throughout life. Everything you do, everything you see. It is all coded in what he wants. Now, you're probably sitting here thinking, well, good grief, that requires a huge life change in order for that to be a reality. Yes, it does. And that's exactly what it's supposed to do. That's exactly what it is supposed to invoke in us is that type of difference of saying my life is out of whack with what God has called for here. And in order to get better in alignment so that I'm walking in His Word and in His will, this has got to go, and this has got to go, and this has got to go? Yes! There's probably a lot that needs to go. There's a lot of shaving that needs to take place in our lives. Shaving out the things that are clouding up or hindering us from running the race successfully. That's exactly what God is saying. Conform your entire life to what I desire of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And unapologetically, he is calling them into deep fellowship. He's not saying you got to do that to be saved or accepted. He's saying do that so that you will receive blessing. Everybody remembers, right? If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. The picture that the Bible paints is that obedience is directly connected to love. But the result of demonstrating your love for Yahweh by obeying Him is the fact that He turns around and He heaps blessing on the situation. Just because this is written to Israel doesn't mean that it's an outdated concept. Them running their society is not any different from us being stewards of our lives. If we love the Lord, we'll obey Him. If we obey Him, it's a demonstration of our love, and He will bless us further. He's already given us every spiritual blessing. It's not like we're lacking in blessing now. If anything, we have all the motivation and reasoning and incentive we need to walk forward in obedience. What's the great thing about God? God wants to bless more. I sit here and scratch my head. I'm like, why in the world would He want to keep blessing me? I'm terrible. But he, it's because of who He is. I can't stop God from being who He is. And He's asking me to be in a position to where I can receive the blessing that he wants to willingly give. Incredible stuff. Incredible. So notice this, verse 19. You shall teach them to your sons. Does all this sound familiar? Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6. Notice that this part is from verse 7 there. The frontlets on your forehead and on your hands, that's from verse 8. Notice, talking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you rise up. That means that every interaction I have with my child needs to have God and His Word all over it. Yes! Yes! That means that my conversations with other people are supposed to have things about God in the midst of them. Yes! We're finally starting to get it. I know sometimes you're thinking, why in the world does Moses have to keep saying, love the Lord your God with all your keep His commandments? Why is it? Because we need it. That's why. Because if Israel would have listened the first time, that would have been a miracle, right? But notice, you've got to be told over and over and over. It says here, verse 20, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's, that's chapter 6, verse 9. And then he says, so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. And notice that until the end of the church age, until the end of the millennial kingdom, until all things are made new in the new creation, this is Israel's land. God wants them to stay in the land, obey Him, conform their lives to what He desires from it, and they will be richly blessed. And that closes up the section that was included within um, the Mesuza. Any thoughts? Just because this is speaking to Israel doesn't mean that it does not have application to us. I think that's important. I, don't think, I think that too much introspection is extremely unhealthy. If we look at ourselves too long, we'll all come to the conclusion that we're not saved. Okay, That's why we look to Jesus. But there's nothing wrong with asking the question, am I currently holding the Lord's hand? And if I am, how tightly, how close am I with my relationship with the Lord? If there's anything that's keeping me from that opportunity to experience that intimacy with Him, what is it? And let go of it. Come to the resolve that His truth is greater from whatever satisfaction we feel like that we are garnering from those things. And let's get rid of it. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thank You uh, for continual mercy in Your Word of demonstrating that walking with You is the best life that we could possibly have. Father, let us be pleasing to You in all ways. Help us to identify anything that might take us from You. Praying, Father, that we would seek your mercy, your kindness, your goodness, your wisdom, and have your will for our lives be played out so that, Father, we can see your blessing. Father, our hearts are the problem. needs to be addressed by your word. We need to be taught day in and day out so that we are further convinced and away from unbelief. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody.